guys, welcome back to the YBF Podcast. It's your girl, Natasha, and I'm back with another episode of YBF Politics. And that means, y'all already know what that means. We have uh, an, another amazing guest on today, and this time she is a sitting politician, and she has lots to say about lots of things. But I want to introduce her. She is a Memphis native, a Tennessee state senator representing District 29. And you might remember her from her speech at the DNC in 2016, right? Um, and she's a graduate of St. Louis University Law School, so she knows her ish, y'all. And But her home is the state of my Texas A&M Aggies, SEC rival, University of Tennessee, but I will not hold it against her. She's a bomb representative of, a, of millennial YBF women, and she's been in the T Tennessee State Congress since 2013, first as a state representative, and now as an elected state senator as of 2018. So please welcome to the show, Senator Ramesh Agberi. Hey, happy to be here. Look, let me tell you, I've been reading your blog since I was in law school. So, no. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I this is love awesome. it. My <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> For well, sure. that, but then that means you know I'm a law school dropout. So, let's uh, get I, I thought it was a great move, though. I was like, <laughs> see, look at, look at God. Look at how that plan just went forward. <laughs> Honestly, it's like the universe. It just, mm -hmm. it's so crazy mm -hmm. how that works, but whatever. So, yeah. So, okay. Something interesting about you is that you are, what well, that I learned about you, is that you are a twin. And your twin sister, uh, Ramina, is that, is that yes. right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yes, she's a physician. And so y'all are like powerhouse twins, first of all. So that's me. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure. Well, no, I am sure because I know my mom is a physician. So I know that you're kind of on the front row of seeing what physicians and scientists and people like that go through right now during this COVID craziness, regardless of what our administration is saying, regardless of what right-wingers are saying, you know, because you see it because people are in your family telling you what's going on, you know what's really, what's really up. So I looked at stats this morning and um, I saw that Tennessee state surpassed 175,000 cases of COVID and, but been testing like 2.5 million tests which i think is pretty good um yeah. so it doesn't think it doesn't seem like there's a sharp uptick of of cases it seems to be either flattening or dropping which is which is good so yeah. how do you think tennessee is performing during this crisis well let me tell you i mean we thought that the state shut down just a little too late a lot of the burden has kind of fallen on cities and counties we still don't have a statewide mask mandate um, and our governor's pretty much aligned his policies with the policies of Donald Trump. So it's interesting to hear now that the Trump administration knew a lot more than they have kind of kind of led us led us to believe. Uh, but I think you know we're working through it. It's been a lot of local government stepping up, saying, "Hey, I mean, we've been under a mask mandate in Memphis since I think maybe March or April." So I appreciate that. I think people are starting to recognize, but uh, we'll see. Labor Day will be what was a big test for us. So later on this week and next week, we'll see how things really are going. But it seems that the trend is going down. So that's always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Always. Um, and I, um, what grade, and this is why I kind of want to talk to state senators and state legislatures, because I want people to understand that regardless of what the administration is doing, the executive branch of our US government, no matter what they're doing or not doing, there's so much power that lies in state 
politics and state government because like you just said regardless of what they mandate or didn't mandate you all have your own mandates and thankfully the mayors and governor was not too shook or you know mayors and councilmen or whoever weren't yeah. too shook by <laughs> by trump's threats for whatever they did or didn't do but i want you to kind of explain like why that's so important you know and, and what grade would you guys give this administration for how it affected your state well, local elections do matter. Uh, honestly, having a mayor, a county mayor and a city mayor here in Memphis that understood this was important, that we shut down way before the state shut down uh, is really important. I think that the federal government did not provide universal support as they should have. They made states have to compete against each other for PPE, which is ridiculous. Uh, you have like Tennessee borders eight other states. And so you have folks who work in Tennessee, but live in Arkansas or Mississippi, and there's not a universal policy around how folks are keeping themselves safe. I think in these extraordinary times, the administration failed, big capital F, uh, everything that they did do and that they didn't do has led us to where we are now. Uh, you see that we're in the worst economic recession since the Great Depression, and it's really impacting black communities in an even more significant and dramatic way. And it didn't have to be this way. Joe Biden says it a lot, but I truly believe it. And I almost feel like it is criminal negligence what uh, Donald Trump and his, his folks have been doing to our country. It's Absolutely. insane. Um, and we're going to get to Joe Biden in just a second. But yeah. something I wanted to ask you about, which made pretty big news. I know I was taken aback, like, what the hell are they doing in Tennessee? And I think a few other states are, we're trying to do yeah. this. Um, there is a protest bill that um, you already knew what I was about to say, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like a uh, protest awful. that yeah. the floor um, of both houses of Congress in Tennessee uh, last month, and it was yeah. voted on in a special uh, special session. And I mean, yeah. I have an issue with it, but we're gonna we're gonna get into why it's a problem and why everyone across the country needs to pay attention to what's going yeah. on in this in this state situation. So um, I don't know the exact name of the bill, but the bill to me is a perfect example of showcasing the importance of state legislatures. You see the difference between state and US Congress and the impact on our everyday life. So regardless of what our amendment, our, our constitution says that we have the right to protest, if a state wants to limit that in some way, they can. So in yeah. Tennessee, you guys passed the bill um, in, in Sorry. Yes, you passed the bill that um, basically increased penalties for vandalism and camping mm -hmm. on state right. property related to recent capital protests. So, and then there's a provision in there that says, um, and I know that it was introduced in the House and now the Senate, what you are part of, um, adopted this part too, that basically turned it from what would typically be a misdemeanor into a felony. Um, yeah. if you are arrested for that. And we all know the repercussions of that. There's possible uh, voter rights taken away. There's there's yeah. a lot of ripple effect with that. Explain mm -hmm. to us why this happened and what type of effect is this going to have on all of us? Well, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head. First of all, the legislation is pure nonsense. Um, it is vindictive and unnecessary. Uh, the legislature tried to do it in June when we came back to conclude our session. We paused in March because of the crisis. And I sat in the committee room which they hadn't heard in finance because they didn't want to open up the Judiciary Committee as it should have gone to. And one of the representatives, a Republican representative, he literally asked, he said, so if I'm on state property and I fall asleep in my car, I could be guilty of a felony? 
and they didn't have an answer for him. So they took a recess in that committee and we never came back. We adjourned, we were done, we thought we were done. They called us back for a special session to handle some other things related to liability and then also to telemedicine. And then the governor puts on the agenda as well, this God awful protesting bill. It's, it's a shame. Uh, we've had a group of young people protesting, black, white, you know, just a rainbow coalition of folks. It's, it's beautiful to see, honestly. Uh, they have been nonviolent. Uh, they have three little canopies set up across from the Capitol. Probably the most destructive thing they've done is that they've put chalk, I'm talking about sidewalk chalk, on the sides of the <laughs> walls. They re- right, sidewalk chalk, it washes away. They have renamed the plaza, which is called War Memorial Plaza. They have renamed it Ida B. Wells Plaza, the People's Plaza. Yeah. And the the members of my General Assembly didn't like that. And they kept looking to, again, what was going on in Portland and in, uh, I think, in Seattle. And they kept saying that, well, we don't want this to happen to our state. Right. So they put these camping laws in place, which which is ridiculous. It's just a continuation. I was not in the legislature then, but during the Occupy Wall Street movement, right. that's when they first made it like I think a misdemeanor. Uh, right. So this they wanted to do a stronger misdemeanor. That's the version that the Senate passed. The House came back. I mean, I was against all of it. And I told them on the floor in my remarks, I said, listen, you guys quote Dr. King all the time, but mm-hmm. this is a type of legislation you would have been putting against someone like Dr. King and John Lewis. We yeah. just passed a resolution to honor John Lewis. And then they come back and they pass this awful resolution. I mean, this awful legislation. It makes it a felony. So if you camp out on state property while protesting, uh, you could be guilty of a felony one to six years in prison, lose right your right to vote. And I tried to kind of speak their language. I said, you'll lose your right to own a weapon. I mean, it precludes you from financial aid, being able to get a job, housing in certain places. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is probably the worst piece of legislation. And I've been there for seven years. It was awful. And then a lot of my colleagues were like, well, we didn't really want it to be a felony. Well, why'd you vote for it then? Exactly. Um, so I'm hoping they'll come back in January. I mean, we're not going to let up the pressure. But the bottom line is this. When it's an issue that they are, feel passionate about, like when they were trying to pass an income tax in Tennessee probably two decades ago, the Republicans were driving around in circles around the Capitol. They threw a rock through a brick through the governor's office. I mean, like, yeah, you're right. They don't want those taxes. But now, and when they didn't want to wear masks, they were all over the Capitol. And right. at least oh, yeah. once or tw- right. And at least once or twice a year, the gun folks come up there with their big, like AR-47s, AR-15s. But it's a problem when you have a couple of young, you know, black, white kids out there with canopies, okay, yeah. with chalk. Yeah, Yeah, it was ridiculous. They don't like the message, and so they want to kill the messenger. And I'm glad that you pointed out the stark differences and the hypocrisy. That is the, that's the theme of 2020. It's just hypocrisy, like, all around. It's really ridiculous. Um, So that takes me to how do we change this ish that is happening? And (laughs) you are a surrogate officially for Joe Biden and the Kamala Harris campaign, and I think that's amazing. Um, And I... I just I think it's really interesting because you have so much in common with Kamala Harris and um, you both are serving in Congress just in different ways, um, (laughs) different arenas. You're both lawyers. Uh, You both have made unique moves in the criminal justice uh, reform landscape. Um, both have multi-ethnic backgrounds and you're close to your sisters. So I just think it's yes. pretty cool. Um, but yeah. it, so it's easy to see why you would have a connection with her and, and understand someone like her. But unfortunately, everyone, black, white, whatever, mm-hmm. doesn't may not be able to say the same and may right. not completely understand the reasonings and the intent behind the thing 
the things that she's done as attorney general and even sometimes a senator. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know why we don't talk about the amazing great things she's done too, but um, we're going to talk about that at another time. But um, <laughs> people have issues with certain things and you're a lawyer and I think you could talk that that same language and understand and explain it to us. So um, while a majority of us are team Kamala, um, not everyone is. So what ca what can you tell us? Um, how do I put this? What can you tell us that Kamala would do for America and for Black America? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I think that one, I, most folks always, it's like the almost the armchair quarterback, like after the game, you're saying, well, I would have done this, I would have done that. Right. Uh, and it's, there's been a major shift in how criminal justice reform has been viewed in our country. And I'm here for it. Okay. As someone who's in a Republican controlled state, it's one of the few issues that has bipartisan buy-in. Mm -hmm. I think with Senator Harris, we've seen a complete evolution of like one, even if you look at her earlier tapes, when you see how she approached being an attorney general, I mean, she's a prosecutor. But at the same time, I think that she made a point to push smart policies and smart decisions. And now you look at the platform that's kind of been developed where they're talking about getting rid of mandatory minimums, things that disproportionately impact poor communities, communities of color, getting rid of cash bail, really sealing records for nonviolent offenses. These are things that are holding folks back, looking at marijuana laws, decriminalizing marijuana, looking at how it's scheduled. These are things that folks are incarcerated for right now, clearing their records. I think those are some big things in the criminal justice arena that the Biden-Harris ticket supports. But I'll also say this, the economy, it's, it's a big deal for us right now. Folks are struggling. Again, I think that Oftentimes you'll see when the when the majority of Americans are impacted, black folks, people of color feel it a little bit worse. Yeah. Um, and I think recognizing that there really is not equity in our economy. And there are some things that have held folks back. Property ownership is a big one. A lot of folks are reading The Color of Law and I'm like, please do. A lot of my white colleagues are reading and I said, please do. So you understand how systemically you create a system where black folks were not able to attain wealth and white folks were. Uh, so hold it, right? Right, right. And so I think that looking at uh, giving assistance to first time home buyers, looking at student loan forgiveness, particularly focusing on student loan forgiveness for folks who went to HBCUs. Those are all things that are really they're going to help America, but they're going to really help the black community. Oh, yeah. And I'm happy that that's the platform that's been developed and what they're pushing. And so so I'm, I'm good. I'm happy to support it. And I think another thing that they're doing that's really good is they're listening to folks like it's not just like some vacuum where we create these policies and we hope you like it. There was a lot of effort that went into the platform and even now they're continuing to reach out to people. Right. I love that. Um, and can you explain why you are a Biden supporter? <laughs> right. I feel like I've been explaining this for 12 months. It's a lot. Okay. Uh, one, um, I participated in a ton of different fellowships in Europe, and I saw what it looked like when you had someone with no foreign policy experience, no foreign relations experience, and the types of the, the, the tariffs that he's put, that Donald Trump has put in place, the complete disregard for our traditional allies. That The experience of Joe Biden is what initially attracted me to him. Now, of course, as I've completely kind of absor absorbed all of his policies, addressing climate change, understanding that climate change is real. This is something that um, my generation and the generations below will have to deal with. I mean, you see the wildfires that are going on in California right now, the hurricanes that is one after the other, tropical storms. Uh, that's a big one. How he approaches uh, education and funding, understanding that every child, no matter what zip code they're from, no matter what school they go to, they should get a good education. And it starts with pre-K, 
which is really important. In my state, we have to fight for dollars for pre-K funding, as if it's a bad I've thing. I've never heard of that. I, I mean, I went to pre-K, and I'm from Chicago right. originally. Right. Like, I thought everyone did, but apparently no. No, it's crazy, particularly in the South. Uh, actually, I was sitting in an education committee meeting my second year there, and I heard one of my colleagues say, the government has our children enough. And I thought, are you guys crazy? They say it's a responsibility of the parent. And I'm like, if parents are working, you have two working parents, how are they going to provide pre-K for their children? Come on. So, yeah. right. So he believes in universal pre-K. And also Tennessee was shockingly uh, ahead of the times on this. And it was something we worked with the Obama administration to try and push statewide. But that was free community college uh, for all high school graduates and all adults. That's something that Joe Biden's pushing and even going further by saying, for colleges and universities. Uh, that's a big deal for me. Education is huge, criminal justice reform is huge, the environment is huge, and experience to restore our kind of standing on a foreign foreign soil is a big deal because we've had someone who embraces our enemies. And I just cannot get, I mean, come on, you have North Korea and China and Russia, and they're just making a fool out of us. It's, right. it's ridiculous. Right. Um, yeah. How do you think that Biden and Kamala Harris, how do you, how do you think they would contribute to um, certain policies that are being pushed by you and your colleagues in your own state? How will a Biden administration help things like the criminal justice reform that you're trying to do in your state specifically and, and even the protest bill and, and all these yeah. random things that are coming up that are directly impacting your life? How will this new administration help? Well, I'm hoping that they'll bring some stability and some, they'll restore trust in the federal government and also restore trust in facts, like actual facts and not just like anecdotes or just like things that people come up with. Um, a lot of times you see this fever pitch, particularly around like a protest bill, because the federal government and the um, the top official, our president, is trying to send federal troops in and acting like people who are peacefully demonstrating are some sort of foreign enemy. Uh, so I think they'll bring that level of stability and experience. I think also that a big thing that they've both focused on in their careers are building coalitions. I mean, we are in such a weird, awful partisan nightmare where it's like people forget that they're people first. And my legislature always likes to say, we're not like those folks in DC, but I'm gonna be honest with you with this rhetoric coming down from the president, it's seeming more and more like that. So I'm hoping we can, I'm hoping that every ugly thing that Donald Trump has brought to light will start to shrivel up and fall away, um, that we will finally truly tackle racial injustice. We will truly focus on equity. We will truly focus on making America an inclusive place for everyone, not this whole make America great again, as if it was ever great for certain parts, certain people. Uh, so, you know, yeah. um, do you feel like people can change the way you kind of mentioned it earlier about how the criminal justice landscape has changed so therefore the people within it need to change and change their view on it how do you think that biden has changed over his several decade career in politics that it would make it more feasible or more just having the black community more able to accept yeah. him as a candidate of change and not that guy we knew that did the crime bill and you know, yeah. almost 40 years ago and, and right. just that old guy that we remember from back in the day during Anita Hill. Yeah. How do we yeah. know it's changed? Can he change? Yeah, I think, well, one, we look at his policies, right? Like once he, one, and, and, and Mayor uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms fo focused on this a lot, I think during the primary, the fact that this white man who'd been in government forever felt like it was a good thing to be the 
vice president for the first black president in our country. That to me says a lot, number one. But number two, once he got there, the policies that he pushed, looking at safety for women, uh, making sure that the Violence Against Women Act was renewed, but also focusing on what happens to young women and men on college campuses. Mm -hmm. I thought that was huge. I also think just the overall shift in the approach to criminal justice reform, decriminalizing marijuana, looking at these low level offenses, it just like, I mean, in Tennessee, whether there was Democrats, Congressional Black Caucus, our Tennessee Black Caucus, there was this belief that you lock them up, you throw away the key, it'll stop people from doing what they're doing. Now it's much more based on science that we cannot, uh, you know, incarcerate our way out of crime. Right. What we have to do is focus on what's happening to get there. So pre-K education, focusing on building up our HBCUs, focusing on building up our economy, focusing on healthcare so people can get the mental health support they need. I think that Joe Biden has exhibited not just in his policies as a vice president, but also in his policies for his platform now, that that's what he's going to do. And it's, it's a totally different person. I think a transition, the, the key for me is if you're a good leader, is if you respond and you flow and you learn and you grow. And I think Joe Biden has definitely done that while also having experience to really make a difference. Yes. And even after people leave jail, um, after they serve their time, putting in certain yeah. things, because we have a tendency to not even take care of our own veterans. So right. when people come back from a traumatic situation, we have a tendency to just like figure it out. You're on your own. Right. That causes yeah. recidivism, that causes no change in, in them mm -hmm. really as a person. So yeah, focusing on those things. And I know that he has plans for that as well. So that's yeah. Um, and moving to, actually, I want to ask you first, since we are on the subject of elections, how did y'all, y'all mean in Tennessee, allow Kanye West to make the ballot in Tennessee? I'll wait. Girl, girl, I, I'll wait too. I don't know. Okay. I know that our Ford family of political I, dynasty, I'm shocked. I know, I just, at least it wasn't Harold Senior or Junior, you know. Awesome, but but it's, I, the, it's the brother. It's, it's what's the I know. I don't know why Isaac, Sir Isaac, why. all of them. I don't know why they did it. I think it's ridiculous. I will tell you this, though. I'm at least happy that he's not on the ballot in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Arizona and Virginia and some of these states where we truly need people right. to not throw away their vote. I mean, honestly, it's very clear Kanye is going through some sort of mental health crisis. He needs to have that addressed. Running for office, I think, is only going to exacerbate that. And I don't know how the heck Tennessee let him on there, but... Uh, you know what I'm hoping? It'll bring people out to the polls and they will vote down ballot because we have some seats right. we can flip. And that's all That's all I want us to do. We have an African-American woman as our Democratic nominee for Senate, the only Black woman, only Black person, I think, who is a Democratic nominee up right now. So uh, just hopefully that'll I bring people out to vote for that, you know? All right. All right. Um, exactly. <laughs> and one of the last things I wanted to ask about is business. Um, I mean, obviously I'm a business owner and I'm a black business owner, black woman business owner. And being a pro-business Democrat is tricky. And I am a pro-business Demo Democrat. The, what makes it tricky is things like this. When the Tennessee lawmakers recently passed a bill that, grant, that granted coronavirus-related liability protections to businesses, um, a few states actually did this. Um, I don't think people realize how that negatively affects the, the labor union and who's a part of the labor union, mainly black and brown people. Um, yes, I understand how that helps and saves business owners. I get it. 
I do also see the flip side of how this is problematic for the community as a whole. So what, and we're gonna talk about also Joe Biden's plans for entrepreneurship for black people, but this thing in particular, can you talk to us about what, what would Biden do differently? What, why is this happening? Well, I, I definitely don't think that he would extend this blanket type of immunity for bad actors. That was my problem with the legislation. I understand like my parents, I grew up, I have, I grew up and I still work in my parents' small business. Yes, I saw that. So I, yep, so I understand it. Uh, but at the same time, I understand that we have to protect our workers. And I thought that the standard of negligence was already sufficient. Uh, it's already pretty difficult to prove that, particularly with a disease as tricky as COVID. Uh, moving it to gross negligence, which just, you know, that makes it virtually impossible for someone to get uh, a, a case uh, moving forward. Right. But let me tell you, we had schools, universities, nonprofits, any churches, all these folks were in support of it because they were scared of what it could do to their small business or their or their institution. I mean, even the Boys and Girls Club, they were like, look, we need this type of protection and we can continue to serve the community. So it was tricky. I wanted them to not make it retroactive and also, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I wanted them to not make it retroactive and then also take um, uh, one other step out of it where like these bars that will literally put up signs, mocking masks and things like that. Kid Rock has a bar, I think, that lost their local liquor license because they oh, yeah. refused to. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. So I don't like the legislation, but I think Joe Biden will focus more on taking steps so that we're not in a situation where we even have to have liability protection. One, having a national mask mandate. Two, really relying on science when it comes to whether or not folks should return to work safely. And three, making sure that we're able to provide benefits to those who are unemployed and also employers that are still trying to keep people working uh, so that they won't have to make unsafe choices. And I think that's the key difference between the occupant and the person that we hope will be our 46th president. <laughs> right, right. I love how this administration acts like it's one or the other. It's like you can, yeah. you can control and be safe in a business right. and, and right. maybe shut down for a little bit while y'all give everybody else bailouts, y'all give everybody mm -hmm. else money, mm -hmm. give us money to stay open as well while right. we're keeping our labor union and, and employees safe. You can right. do both if you want to do both. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I really am... I look at for every candidate. I don't care what level you're on, city, state, federal. I want that to be business owners, especially small business owners. Things like that could take us out. A, lot, a, a lawsuit yeah. business like that could take us out. So I get it. But at the same mm -hmm. time, you cannot be trying to wipe out the community I'm a part of as well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, exactly. Yeah. so Biden um, also has the, the um, Build Back Better. Correct? Yeah, um, yes, yeah. Build back so better. program, um, which would heavily benefit Black entrepreneurs. Um, can you talk to me about why, what, what's in it for us as a Black entrepreneur? If we vote for Biden, yeah. this is part of his plan, what's in it for us? Well, I think even the title itself, which at first I was like, Build Back Better, okay, what does that mean? It means that we want to return to pre-COVID, but that was not as equitable world. It was not a world where Black businesses could thrive where we recognize the stark differences in funding and the ability to get startup funds and the ability to have this generational wealth that your parents can give you a loan, similar to Donald Trump's million dollar loan to start his business. Okay, bro. But um, 
so, so Build Back Better is recognizing all of that. It's saying that we need to provide funding for um, businesses, low interest loans for businesses, mentoring and tools to help get them off the ground, and just recognizing that it's not equitable, but it should be, and that there are things that we do that can make it equitable. Because at the end of the day, small businesses have supported the Black community in so many ways. Even in Memphis right now, we have... Um, uh, thousands of businesses, like of black businesses. I mean, over, I think maybe like 50,000, but only 800 of them have more than one employee. Uh, so helping businesses ramp up and scale up is a, is a big one. Actually having an SBA that, that appeals to black businesses. I've heard so many constituents that say, look, everyone always says, okay, get certified as minority women owned business and then go to the SBA and the SBA, it's either you don't have enough business experience or you, your credit's not sufficient. So if your credit is sufficient, you don't have enough business experience. And it's time out for that because if we actually want people to thrive and grow and continue to sustain our communities, entrepreneurship is huge. And it's not just employing yourself, it's employing others. I mean, that's how you build a solid middle class. Uh, I, I, I am super impressed with this Build Back Better. I love that the um, Biden campaign is really going directly to black business owners and saying, hey, what do you need? How can we make this work? Uh, and I think Senator Harris was in Vegas a couple of days ago doing just that uh, with a roundtable with black businesses. So it's exciting. We'll see. I mean, again, as a black owned small business, I'm, I'm in it completely. I cannot support a candidate that does not recognize the importance of helping black owned businesses. Period. One of the things I want candidates to focus on is the definition and the redefining of small business. Um, something that has been longstanding in the administration, no matter who's in office, the idea of small business or even business is so traditional and to me outdated. Um, they don't understand necessarily that, and this is why I think age matters, but they don't necessarily understand that these days, I, I read that over 60% of new businesses are virtual only and digital only. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I go look to apply for coronavirus relief or grants or anything that, especially I live in New Jersey, so New Jersey came out with the whole plan to, to fund small businesses and to give you a grant uh, that would take you all the way through December for your, for your office or whatever you need to use it for. All these great platforms and great possibilities, but in the fine print, there's always something that prevents people like me from applying. And it's because... I don't have a commercial lead, you know, yeah. because I don't mm -hmm. have a storefront or because right. I don't have, I'm not registered in one particular state. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm, I have my corporation papers, but do I operate in that state? No. And they sometimes want you to operate in a specific state like Facebook mm -hmm. for their release program. When you're a virtual digital business, none of that applies. So right. it out so many of us, especially black mm -hmm. women, that's mainly the type of businesses we're funding so or starting. So that's something that I hope that Joe Biden also pays attention yeah. to and wants to help revise. I think so. And I think that the people on his team, uh, his director of African American Outreach, Trey Baker, he's younger. Um, we actually graduated from law school in the same year. And it, having people like that, having Simone Sanders, having um, Kamala Harris's uh, political director, uh, Vincent Evans, these are all young black folks that understand and they're able to provide this type of input and then just engaging with black elected officials. They've done a pretty good job of doing that. And I help with some outreach to young black elected officials. We understand. I mean, I have folks who the climate and I think COVID further illustrated, which I'm encouraged by that there are so many things that can be done virtually. 
and you need to be able to support businesses to do that. People uh, used to so, virtual businesses and think we were real. Yeah, it's like, okay, so you don't have an office, so what are you? Okay, so you want to meet over Zoom? I don't understand. And now all of a sudden it's like, can we meet over Zoom, please? You know, so it's shifting, and I think the mindset and the attitudes are shifting. And certainly Build Back Better, uh, it will take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. All right, I love it. Is there anything <laughs> else you want to say to your possible, I'm sure there's Tennessee readers and, and, and listeners and viewers watching right now, anything you want to say to your constituents? Yes, I have two things I want to say. Make sure you fill out your census information. If you have not done it, please do it. It's so quick. It took me like four minutes online. It makes a big difference. Exactly. It makes a big difference. If you want to be counted, you want to receive the federal funding we also desperately need in our cities and states, you have to fill out your census. They're not trying to get your information so that they can come arrest you or there's no some sort of like conspiracy theory. Fill it out. Trust me. Secondly, make sure that you are registered to vote. There are some strict deadlines. If you are able to vote absentee, please make sure you request your ballot. We have early voting in Tennessee, so make a plan. There's no reason for you to have to wait in line. Mask up and, and, and do it, and uh, it, it's, it's so important. And vote down ballot. Do not just vote for your president and then walk out the booth. Right. Other races are very important. We have a congressional race. We have a Senate race. We have our, our state house, state Senate races. Uh, just Just make sure you vote all the way down the ballot. Um, um, She has proven exactly why it's so important to vote for your state senators. So the deadline for Tennessee residents to register to vote is October 5th. Visit IWillVote.com to do so. um, And also plan how you will vote because y'all is, I'm already serious. It's going to be a hot mess. It is going to be a hot mess. So go ahead and plan now. Are you going to mm-hmm. early vote? Okay, figure out the days for early voting. Are you going mm-hmm. to mail in your vote? Okay, mail it in like yesterday. Like, and right. you apply for your ballot. Request well. it and mail it in yeah. ASAP. Yes. Yep. If you're going to vote day of, you better grab, stock up on your snacks now, stock up mm-hmm. on your mask, and stand mm-hmm. in line. So, stopping <laughs> that. All right? Yes, please. <laughs> All right. Um, and where can people find more about you? Oh, they can visit me on Twitter. Uh, follow me on Twitter at SinAckBerry. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Ramesh Akberry on Facebook, State Senator Ramesh Akberry. And if all else fails, just Google me. <laughs> my name is so difficult. It's so many letters. I don't even want to give my email address. I'm like, just Google it. You'll find it. It's there. All that. Right. Yes, and I but Twitter, that. that's my friend. Yeah. And I love that you're so openly and readily available. It's sometimes hard once you put somebody in office. It's sometimes hard to find them and talk to them and hold them accountable for stuff. But she has given y'all all her, all her credentials. So y'all go ahead and interrupt because she ain't scared, clearly, all right? Never. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. And um, thank y'all for watching. Y'all know the deal. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe to the YBF podcast as well as to our YouTube channel and visit theybf.com for everything that you need to know in celebrity breaking news, pop culture, and politics. (laughs) So thank y'all for watching and listening. Bye-bye.